Knowledge is the fuel that powers intelligent buying and selling. So get a quick recharge with me, Ron Edwards, Master Sommelier and Director of Wine Education for Winebow, Fine Wine, and Spirits. Welcome back to WineSmart. We're with Monique Houston again. I love our conversations. Today we're going to talk gin. How you doing, Monique? I'm doing really well. I'm excited to talk gin. It's sunny outside. I feel like it's a, a harbinger of uh, the oncoming gin season. Love it. You know, gin's not all made the same way, and you could lecture us about all of that for a long time, but, you know, it'd be great if you just give us the cliff notes on um, how gin gets from neutral distillate to gin flavor. I think what is surprising to some people is gin at base is simply flavored vodka. So it all it means is that you've taken a distillate, it could have any base, so it could be a grain base, it could be a potato base, it could be a sugar, just, you know, real sugar base, distilled over 192 proof. So distilled into neutrality, basically following along the exact same lines as vodka. But the second that you infuse it with the botanical juniper, juniper, Geneva, gin, that's where the word gin comes from, you have created the world's first flavored vodka, and it's gin. It can get there a few different ways. So you can either kind of like making hot tea, you can actually take um, botanicals and fruits and uh, roots and all kinds of things and put them straight into a boiling pot still. Um, You can suspend them so that as the alcohol is vaporizing out of that still, the vapor rises up and through them. And you can also take different things, maybe more delicate, maybe it's flower petals are done one way, but big, heavy cardamom pods are done a different way, and then bring them all together and form compound gin. So there's a couple different ways to do it. It really depends on price point, the time that you have, um, the energy that you have to do it, and, and what you're looking to get out of it at the end. And then there's always just adding flavoring agents like syrups. We try not to talk about yeah, that. But it yes, that exist. absolutely exists. People need to know it exists so they can avoid it. <laughs> Price point, people. You're out there. You're looking at cheap stuff, probably produced in an inexpensive way. There you go. So uh, you already mentioned jun- juniper is completely required um, with so many other flavoring options now going on. And, and this is sort of the exciting world that gin is exploring now from what I understand from you. Can we categorize gins in a way to help us navigate the landscape of like super classic gin versus super exploratory gin or something. I don't know. You tell us. Almost sounds like the world of like uh, SUVs, classic (laughs) and super exploratory. I mean, people beat me up. I mean, trying to categorize this is tough, but there are some classic categories. So you've got London Dry, which is classically kind of what, what you just described as classic style, where juniper is the dominant botanical. And so you're going to get that kind of juniper, piney, you know, whatever it is, um, complemented by other botanicals because not everybody can just make like a one note gin and have it stay competitive on a market. Um, From there, you've got some old styles. So you've got slow gin that had the inclusion of slow berries. You've got Geneva, which typically uh, or called old Dutch gin in some cases, Geneva would have come from um, that part of the world, but would have been classically made from a malt base. So a little bit more kind of grainy and earthy. And then um, often can have some sweetness added back into it. So can actually, you know, have some, yeah, some very nice sweet notes and fun things you get to play with. Um, And then there's also Old Tom Gin, which is much sweeter, which is defined as being sweetened um, and was kind of came up in the old school cocktails all the way pre-prohibition, post-prohibition in making things like um, Martinez, which a lot of people know now, and things like the Tom Collins. And then now that's where it gets really tricky there, depending on what part of the world you're in, people could categorize this as a contemporary style gin, a new world gin, a cosmopolitan gin, 
something like that. But ones where Juniper kind of sits back, I describe it more as gin for people who don't like gin, in which case <laughs> you're kind of making a flavored vodka that happens to have juniper berries in it. Because I think gin's a little more hip maybe than calling something a flavored vodka. So where the juniper and that junipery piney note takes a back seat, and then you're taking other flavor trends and putting them out in front. So maybe things like elderflower or grapefruit, um, even like mushroom, other things that are trending right now can be dominant, but legally there's some juniper berries in there. So it's actually gin as opposed to flavored vodka. Okay. So it doesn't, the legal definition doesn't require that it be dominant juniper flavor, but rather that it has to be there, at least in the U.S. Juniper has to be there. That brings me to the path of, all right, now that we know the categories exist, perfectly happy for you to maybe give an example of like, here's a brand that represents this section of the category. Um, and maybe uh, we talk through some best ways to use some of these. Like uh, cla- maybe we start with classic London Dry and one or two classic uses. Make it practical for people. Yeah, most people, when they think of classic London Dry, it's when you're talking about Beefeater, you picture the Beefeater guy or something like Tanqueray. And there are also contemporary examples of a classic London dry. So um, things like Rieger, um, which they call it Midwestern dry gin, but it's a classic London dry. It's actually modeled off of Tanqueray 10, but then it's got a couple of other things added to it to make it a little bit different so that you're not just trying to carbon copy that. Things like your classic London dry, they're going to be a little bit more savory. You're not adding you know, fruits and, and um, other things that are adding any sweetness. You're obviously not sweetening it. So that's a classic cocktail style. So that could be a gimlet, a dry martini, a dirty martini, um, even just a Negroni, where you're letting the kind of bitter and sweet elements play with that. So those are yeah, very classic, very good. That's kind of an everyday drinker. I feel like every bar has one in the well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, at least in this country. Um, and all right, so what's next then? Are, what do we, why don't we progress from most classic London dry t- you know, juniper forward to what's the next step in today's categories and what do we want to do with those? I'd say probably something like Geneva, which I know is really overlooked, but I do think that folks that like whiskey appreciate that it has a discernible malt base. Um, Geneva's, like I said, can, they don't have to be sweetened, but sometimes can be sweetened, but most often they're categorized by that malt base. They can even be aged. So sometimes you also can kind of grab onto some of those wood notes and vanilla and caramel, you know, things like that, but they typically only have juniper added. So they don't have any other support ingredients. So if you think about it that way, those in cocktails are almost then used more like a, like a light whiskey. So things where those, those would be complemented. So I have actually seen them used very well in um, old fashions in Manhattans. And then you can kind of let some of the other ingredients shine with giving the cocktail itself a really nice weight uh, and because it's got a malt base. Okay. Next step then would be contemporary gin? Contemporary gin. I mean, you kind of, slow gin, not that fun to talk about because it's got slow berries. They're bitter. So you kind of make slow gin fizzes. I think that's, I'm sure there are other fun things that people do with it. I don't really know what to do with it, but I'm not a bartender. I took slow gin and sort of made a spritz out of it, almost like it was Aperol. It was really great. And you used it in place of the Aperol. Yeah. And a couple other things were ingredient, but it, it was beautiful drink and it was delicious. And then I ran out of slow gin and that was the end of that. That was the end of the experimentation. You perfected it. You perfected it. Yeah, I I love that. I mean, I'll have to try that. I always have a bottle sitting around, but I don't really know what to do with it. So I I think that's really fantastic. Um, And that's a good use of it because there's good bitterness and and good fruity components to it as well. Yeah, with the Cosmopolitan or New World or, you know, whatever people want to call it, again, the Juniper kind of takes a back seat. 
and you see all these different things arise, it gives people all over the world, not just that kind of London gin and, and that very classic flavor profile, but it gives people the opportunity globally to then bring in botanicals from wherever they are. So we support some gins. We have one called Biob that all comes from continental Africa. So it's pulling from, it's Pan-African. So it's pulling things from carob to the baobab tree, all kinds of botanicals that can only be found there. Um, we've got ones that are, you know, very proudly just made in the Midwest. And so you're pulling, you know, maybe they've got apple, they've got ramp. I've seen all kinds of savory things. So it really runs the gamut. And again, it's, it's, just separated from vodka by being that, you know, the, the fact that it has um, juniper in it as a botanical. So if what is trending is savory, then people can use really cool savory, you know, fruits, vegetables, bittering agents. If what's trending, I, I think back even five years, it seemed like everybody was playing with elderflower in spritzes, in champagne drinks. And so elderflower was fun to put in there. Um, I think with the surgence of um, even agave cocktails, people are playing more with all kinds of citrus. So using citrus that is endemic to where you are from as the botanical, you know, if you're in Florida, very easy to get Florida oranges. But maybe if you're on the Amalfi Coast, you're using citrus that comes from that place. If you're coming from Mexico, maybe you're using grapefruit, something like that. So completely different to lend the flavor and sense of place um, into where the gin is coming from. Because gin as a category is exploding and we can't just continue to carbon copy the gins that have always existed. Right. Creating a point of difference. And then it sounds like to me, when you get into that part of gin, the actual use of the gin is going to be super specific to which bottle you've got in your hand. Um, so a lot of the classic cocktails, for instance, might not be as super well suited to some of these gins and you might have to kind of make one up along the way. Is that where you're pointing us? Absolutely. And two, I'll tell you, one of the things that kind of turned the gin world on its head was the um, entry of Hendrix gin from William Grant and Sons into the market, where it was kind of the first that wasn't a London dry. So they were known for having rose petal and cucumber that were, you know, grown on site there. If you put that in a dirty martini, rose petal and cucumber don't go real well with, um, you know, with olive juice. So that didn't necessarily work. If you were even going to put it in a classic Negroni, it was already sweet. So maybe you needed less of the sweet component, more of the bitter component. So you certainly have to taste the gin and then be able to make little tweaks to it. I also, as we see new entries to the category, highly recommend that people either write on the bottle, on a necker, on a QR code, recommend how it's used. So nothing like getting a bottle that maybe is legally a London dry, but has a lot of really savory notes to it. Nothing like getting it home and trying to put it in Negroni, find out that it doesn't work. And now you really don't have a use for that bottle of gin. So I feel like not only creating the gin, you need to have that end result. Ideally, this is how I would like to see it used to make sure that people are happy with it. Well, that's a great start to a gin exploration. And I appreciate your time. Uh, we have definitely put a good use to 10 minutes and I look forward to the next conversation. Awesome. Thanks, Ron. Until next time. 